The following is a presentation of Genesis. Genesis is a place where you are invited to begin, belong, and believe. To find out more, visit us on the web at genesisthejourney.com. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. If you would, find us somewhere to sit. We've got two, one, we've got two. Rick, that was a total teaser. I thought you were going for that couch, but apparently there's a Bible up there already. So, hey, welcome to Genesis. My name's Michael, and I am glad that you guys are here. Uh, tonight is a, a big night for many reasons. It's a big night every Sunday when we gather, because uh, one of the things that we uh, do week in, week out at Genesis is come together as a community and uh, make a big deal about who Jesus is. And so we do that through song. We do that through uh, taking a look and preaching of the scriptures and then responding to God by celebrating uh, communion. One of the things that uh, has been happening at Genesis, uh, specifically over the past uh, year or so, um, is we have been, this community, by the way, if you're brand new, this will, uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, uh, we are a community that's young, meaning we've been going at it for about two and a half years uh, in this uh, venue here. And uh, one of the things, as I mentioned about uh, a year or so ago, we started asking God a question of, God, what's, what's the future of Genesis? Uh, do we continue just to gather uh, here on Sunday evenings and primarily just as young adults? Or, God, do you have different plans and intentions for us? And the very specific question that we've been asking is, God, are you calling Genesis? Are you raising Genesis up to be sent out as a church uh, that would continue to love you, God, and love the culture around us? And so uh, myself and the elders of Hope Christian Church have gone through a nine-month uh, discernment process, and that just means we've been sitting and seeking and praying and just asking God lots of questions and praying that he would speak and reveal uh, his plan, his ways, his wills, and purpose uh, for Genesis. So you've heard different announcements throughout uh, the last few weeks, last few months as to where we are, and tonight I'm excited to let you know of what uh, the decision uh, that has been made. So I want to invite my good friend Ian Whitfield, who is an elder here at uh, Hope Church. Hey, quiet down. You're not allowed to clap in church. Who told you to do that? Come on now. not allowed to be ruckus like that. Ian, how are you? I'm good. All right. Um, this past Thursday evening, uh, myself and uh, six other elders from Hope Christian Church actually got together at this man's house in uh, what I call the Red Room. Is that what you actually call it? You should start calling it that. Yeah, because the whole thing is it's red. Um, we spent uh, the better part of three, three and a half hours uh, talking, dialoguing, praying, and uh, ultimately at the end of the evening, uh, we put a motion on the table of, uh, God, we're taking a vote. We all sense you've led us in a certain direction, and I wanted you to read or see what exactly the motion uh, was that was voted on. So this was uh, verbatim, the motion, uh, Hope Christian Church uh, shall plant uh, the current ministry known as Genesis, led by Michael Davis, as an independent church by September 1st, 2009. So that was the motion that was made by one of the elders. I think it was seconded, wasn't it? it was yes, it's a very professional board that we have here. And um, then each elder went around and basically kind of cast the vote. And so I'm bringing my good friend Ian to let you guys know uh, what became of this motion. Well, if you were here two weeks ago, you know, I was sitting in, I think, probably exactly the same Are you trying place. to build the suspense, or what, what's going on? I am. 
And I, and I think I told you then that the Lord had plans for us to wait uh, another little while. And as Michael said on Thursday, we had the vote. And I'm just delighted to tell you, I've not stopped smiling since Thursday night. So that will give you an indication uh, that the consensus that we were looking for, the strong consensus, the Lord gave us. And we're delighted to tell you that we are just overjoyed that we'll be able to plant this community as an independent church by September the 1st. See? Now you can clap. There you go. Okay, so what's funny about this picture here in particular, we've been looking at this picture and these cards for the better part of nine months, ten months. And if you're familiar with these cards, they've always had a question mark on it. Tonight there is no longer a question mark on what God is doing uh, with uh, Genesis. There's not a question mark of potentially or any of these things. And uh, I join Ian along with the other elders just in excitement and joy, uh, a sense of just uh, humility of uh, there's not a question mark on this community. God has called us um, uh, to be a church. So I want to give Ian just a few, uh, four, few more minutes just to explain a little bit uh, moving forward. Yeah, I don't have uh, too much that I want to say except just to express a heart of joy. Um, you know, when you have been asking the Lord this question for this long, and uh, he develops a process that sometimes you understand and sometimes you just don't understand. It is an incredible thing that happens to your heart and the hearts of us as elders when he puts everything together in a particular way and frames the question that can be answered in the way in which we did on Thursday night. And I think I just have to declare again that I've had uh, an interesting time since Thursday personally because I find myself smiling at odd times of the day and, and uh, there's a deep sense of awe and gratitude to the Lord. And if I had the time, and it was appropriate, and I have neither <laughs> the time, and I'm not sure it's appropriate, I could just tell you and give witness to you how amazing our God is, the way that He works. And He's very much a God of process as well as outcome. And so it's with great joy that uh, I can convey some things to you. Um, the Genesis Task Force suggested that uh, a few months at least were taken um, before uh, the, the full launch of an independent church would take place. And we concur with that view. And I want to just read a couple of extracts. Um, there's a, a letter that I think you will be getting, right? Mm -hmm. That has been sent to everybody at Hope uh, Morning Community. And there's a couple of things I want to... Um, just highlight uh, that's part of that letter uh, that I think will convey, I think, some of our hearts. HCC, it's Hope Christian Church, will continue to support the Genesis community in a spirit of prayer, of love, and of unity. Specifically, it shall continue to fully fund Genesis through launch date and provide some level of financial support yet to be determined for the first year of operation. So our hearts are not to send you on your way with a word of blessing. Our heart's desire is to come with you in some way and to bless you and to see God bless us through you. And then towards the end of the letter, we invite the Hope Morning community with these words. We would encourage all of you to prayerfully consider any role that the Lord would have you play. Consider going with the church plant permanently or for an initial launch period. Provide a pledge of financial support for the I first... I just want to say that's amazing, okay? That's uh, an incredible gift that uh, Hope Christian Church to uh, Ian's first uh, invitation. This letter's going out to a few hundred people, and uh, the elders of Hope Christian Church saying, uh, we would encourage you, if God is in that for you, we want you to go and be part of establishing and planting a brand new church. For another church to say, if you feel called of God to go, 
That's huge. I mean, that's people, like humans. <laughs> that's amazing. And so that's an incredible gift. Just There's other things to say, but I just wanted to, for us as a community to say, wow, praise God that uh, the church that's sending, supporting, planting, blessing is also just practically saying, it's going to need help. And if you feel called of God to go, we give you full freedom and permission and blessing to do that. Sorry if, to interrupt. If you happen to be someone that has been going to the morning and the evenings and uh, you need any signal from us as elders, let me be the first to say, um, inquire of the Lord as to why you shouldn't go rather than why you should go. If you come, if you're here tonight and you've been coming regularly, at least invite the Lord to tell you why you shouldn't go because uh, we need to give away ourselves uh, in order to make certain that this new church can thrive. And I heard this morning of one person who's already made the decision, who's not even in that category really, uh, who's made a decision to go with the church plant, and it blessed my heart greatly. The second thing we offer people to consider is to provide a pledge of financial support for the first year or two of operation. It's going to cost a lot of money uh, in the first year and beyond, and as this community needs to build up, we need to provide um, support, as we will, uh, from the church budget. Um, but beyond that, there may be people who feel called to provide a special pledge uh, for the first year. The third thing we've uh, asked people to consider is to offer your gifting or expertise as needed through launch or beyond. And Michael will probably tell you a little bit more about what the plans are of how to put a launch team together. But if that launch team were to come to us, we're inviting the folks of Hope Morning uh, to prayerfully consider whether they might lend their expertise and gifting to whatever you all might need. And finally, to pledge to pray regularly for Genesis for a set period of time. So uh, I think I said two weeks ago, our hearts were with you. I hope that this conveys in some shape or form that our hearts are very much with you. We're very proud of you guys, and we're very blessed of the Lord. And our hearts are excited and thrilled in Him for all that He is doing and all that He has done and all that he will do. So we give him praise and thanks. Uh, I've invited uh, Ian. I think some other elders are here tonight. Uh, they're going to come up, and I've asked them uh, just to pray. And uh, it's really, um, there's a lot to pray about in the days uh, to come, as there will be a lot of work uh, to do. Uh, but tonight, uh, my heart is just to say, God, this is, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing that you've placed this call uh, on Hope Church to be a church that would be desirous of planting a church, and that uh, God would put a call on us uh, to say, I want to use you guys to speak into and to love and to engage and serve uh, the Boston culture. So Come on, um, Paul. as we Come would on. pray, and uh, specifically, this is Todd Cravens. He is a teaching elder here at, um, at Hope, and this is Paul Fleming. Apparently, no applause for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I just encourage and I'm asking Ian, uh, other elders, just to give thanks that God is great and uh, he's called us to a great work uh, in the days to come. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so amazed by your goodness. Our Lord, uh, you have spread out a table before us that is bountiful and good, and we want to thank you and praise you for um, your provision, and especially for your grace. Uh, Lord, I just uh, stand amazed at uh, what you've done and how you have brought uh, Hope Christian Church in Genesis to, to this point where um, Genesis would be planted as its own church for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of your glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. 
And Lord, we are on our knees before you, thanking you and praising you for all that you have done. You are our Lord and Savior. We thank you. And Father, we have been praying for several months, probably back in the summer, started praying, what might we do to expand the kingdom in New England? And this seems such a clear answer to that prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to magnify your name through this church and through Genesis. And Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to share in glorifying the name of Jesus because you are the joy of our lives, Father. And Lord Jesus, without you, there is no joy possible. And I pray that you would grant that uh, many more people would come into a relationship with you and understand the, the intimacy that uh, you have promised that we can be reunited with the God of the universe. Lord, sin no longer can, can stand in the way. And I just pray that you will bless that message that would go forth through this church. And we praise you for the ability to be a part of, of what you're doing. And Lord, may it, this be um, the beginning of something new and great that you might do in, in, in a way that would cause us others to stand and watch and say, how could this have happened except by the hand of the Lord? So may all that happens, Father, bring glory to your name and we praise you. And we ask that you would keep the enemy from thwarting the plans that we have. Uh, we think they're your plans. And I pray that you would guard us, guide us at every step along the way so that uh, the, the gospel can go forward and a new church can be born. In Jesus' name. Lord, we are your people and we're called by your name. And we bless you for the extraordinary privilege of being adopted into your family and placed within your body, the known as the church, the church universal. We thank you too for the local church and for the incredible gift that is ours as, as Hope Church to plant this church, Genesis. And we'll be spending a lot more time praying these kinds of prayers, but we just want to say thank you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking with such clarity. Thank you for the joy that is released in our hearts as we reflect on the outcome of this discernment process. And I pray, Lord, that you would open the windows of heaven and that your spirit would pour down an anointing on Genesis, an anointing on Michael. Uh, Lord, that uh, from this day forth, there would be something new and tangible that is released in this community and that you would bless us, not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you guys stand with me? This is uh, an amazing sentence, uh, and it's brought me to tears many times. And uh, we are delighted to inform you that as elders, we believe that God very much wants us to plant Genesis as an independent church. That is just a, an amazing gift from God, an amazing call from God. I've asked Lindsay and just the worship team uh, that I want us to celebrate before we start uh, Worrying about the details and everything that's going to take place and all of these things, I just want us as a community uh, to do what the psalmist says here. It says, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate, they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully, joyfully sing of your righteousness. So 
as a community with one heart, one voice, one mind, let's joyfully sing uh, that our God is a great God, that he is the beautiful one. Wonderful, so wonderful is your unfailing love. Your cross has spoken mercy over me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can fully know. How glorious, how beautiful you are.
Shelters the under his wings is so gently sustained. Hast thou not seen? Hast thou not seen how thy desires there have been?
Lord, what a fitting song for tonight, Lord. God, we trust in you that you have ordained everything that we're about to walk into, Lord. Lord, we trust you that you will prosper our work and defend us because this is by you and this is for you. Lord, this is all for your glory and all for your name's sake, Lord, that we even get up in the morning and we even live. And especially, you are the only reason we would ever plan a church. Father, this is all for you. God, I pray that you would just continue to pour out your hand of wisdom and discernment and blessing as we move forward in you, Lord. God, and all the while lifting up your name and praising you, the Almighty One. Lord, and help us to see everywhere we go and, all, and, and in all that we do, your hand and your work ahead of us, Lord, and I pray that we would join you in it. God, and may just the cry of our hearts and our lives be hallelujah, for you are good. And hallelujah, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Lord, we love you. Speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. Draw us near and near to you, Lord, that we may look more like you and that we might have the mind of you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Sing that with me. Hallelujah. 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 As you guys came in, we uh, polluted your chairs with uh, some new cards for you, and uh, they are not for you, so don't get comfortable with them. Actually, you can keep one of them, the one that says, get drenched. Um, first, let me point uh, out what uh, uh, get drenched. Genesis does uh, baptisms twice a year, and uh, our next get drenched is coming up on Easter. I know there are people here who have uh, made decisions uh, to walk with Jesus as his uh, Savior, as Lord, uh, literally in the last uh, few weeks, few months, uh, and even over just since our last Get Drenched service, which was in August of 2008. So uh, we love doing it on Easter because it's an incredible day, opportunity to proclaim on Easter, I love Jesus and I'm following him with my life. And that's really what baptism is all about, is identifying yourself as a Christian, as a Christ follower. So uh, we have a, a handful of people who have made that decision to get drenched, and uh, I want to just continue to press this with you. Uh, if you have not publicly declared that uh, you are a follower of Jesus, and in fact you are a follower of Jesus, um, it's not just a good idea to do, we're commanded to do it. So uh, if you want some more information about that, about get drenched on Easter, uh, August 12th, or August, um, what month is it? April. My A's, get them confused. Um, April 12th, uh, two days before that, uh, we're going to be doing a, a Good Friday service. Uh, we've got some new cards for you that uh, these are the ones I want you to give away. Uh, so pass them out to friends, family, places in work, places you work out. Put them 
anywhere and everywhere. But uh, on Good Friday, uh, August 10th, we're going to gather here, yes, at 10 o'clock. And it's going to be a pretty intense service uh, because Good Friday, albeit good, is a very intense moment where Jesus uh, went to the cross uh, for you and for me. And we want to remember everything that he did on Good Friday. And then the following uh, two days later at Get Drenched, we're going to celebrate Easter. So we're celebrating um, uh, that Jesus is alive through testimonies and through some baptisms. Uh, but we'd love to see this place just filled with people, family and friends that you are trying to um, engage uh, with the gospel. So make use of those cards and, and put them in other people's hands. Uh, we're walking through um, the story of Mark right now, the gospel of Mark, and we are in week 16, Mark chapter 6. And last time we left the disciples, Jesus said, it's your turn. Go play now, like participate, be involved. And he sent them out on mission. Uh, very specifically was very simply, just go do everything that I have been doing. Go teach and go heal and go preach. Go set people free from the evil forces, uh, demonic possession and oppression. And so Jesus sent them out on mission. Just go be hands and feet and heart and voice of Jesus. And he gave them very two specific instructions. He said, don't take anything with you. And then uh, the other instruction that he gave uh, to them, and when he said don't take anything, there was really two things. Is There's a sense of urgency in this mission. When he said go, it didn't mean like next week or like three weeks or three months. It was like go now. Don't, take, don't go home and pack. Don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to travel with. Just go. And the second thing was, because God is telling us that I will provide. To the one who sends, he is reminding us that he will absolutely provide anything and everything that we need for the journey, for the mission. That's where we last left off. These guys went out for the very first time on mission because Jesus told them to go, and they went. And tonight we find ourselves, the, it's how appropriate, uh, the story that is the only story that's found in all four Gospels, and it's the story of when Jesus put, uh, took some, some bread and some fish and fed an audience of 5,000, actually probably about 10,000 plus people with just very little. This is the only story that is actually recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John uh, in terms of uh, miraculous stories. Uh, and as we get into this tonight, uh, the title of the message, and I rarely make a big deal about titles of messages, uh, but there's something significant about what Jesus says to his disciples in this feeding. He just says, you do it. When they come to him and they're like, have this attitude of just send them away already. Uh, Jesus says, you do it and not send them away. We'll get to that part. But I wanted to ask a, a question, and the question would be this. How do you do in situations when you're just in way over your head, like situations where, like, it's just beyond you. How do you do in situations like that? I mean, do you just freak out? Do you get stressed or kind of take things in stride? As I was thinking about that myself, uh, I, th I thought of three very specific examples that I was in way over my head. Kyla was walking towards me, and uh, she was about, this was... Uh, in a huge barn, there happened to be about 400, 450 people watching all of this take place, and she's got about a 70-yard, uh, not 70-yard, 70 70-foot 70 um, 
Okay, it wasn't a football field we got married on. She was like on the 30-yard line, and I was on the, no. Um, and she's walking towards me. Beautiful, uh, just amazing moment. And my brother, who was my best man at my wedding, uh, was standing next to me, as best men do. And he's a pretty big guy. He's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, uh, and like a big, like, you know, um, you just wouldn't want to pick a fight with him type of guy. And um, so he's standing next to me, and as soon as Kyla starts walking down the aisle, now, apparently, this happened. I will not say this is true. Uh, they say it's on video, but somehow the video's gone missing. <laughs> Go figure. But uh, I'm standing there, you know, like this, and Kyla's walking down towards me. My brother's over here. And apparently, I looked at my brother, and beyond my brother was a door. And I don't remember this, but I looked beyond my brother, and I went like this. Now, I'll pretend I'm my brother, and he's standing right here, and he sees me start to look and have some motion, and he stands like this. I don't know if his arms were crossed, but it was like, I don't know what you're thinking, but stay. Now, I wasn't overwhelmed um, at commitment of marriage. Uh, I was scared because I didn't want to mess it up. Like, I just knew who I was. I was selfish and just self-centered and just prideful and just a sinful person. And as I see this beautiful woman coming towards me, I was filled with, like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not good enough for her at all. Like, I don't want to mess her up. And I don't think I was literally going to walk away. But I remember, God, if you don't help me be a godly man and a godly husband, I just can't do it. I remember when uh, Tristan, our very first son, came along. I had never babysat a kid my entire life. I don't even really like kids that much. And... I remember at the season, we were living in Chicago at the time, and um, I was going through seminary, and I was a full-time student, and uh, Kyla has, uh, has Tristan. She gets three months of maternity leave, and then Kyla had to go back to work because I was on full-time. So I'm going to classes at night. The nights I don't have class, I'm working at a gas station, and uh, during the days, it was my responsibility to care for our son. And I say care for our son, I'm like, I don't know what that means. And three months go by, and I know Kyla's getting nervous, and I thought it was that she was getting nervous, you know, because she was sad that she was going to have to go back to work. The day, her first day of going back to work, you know, he's a baby, three months old, like tiny, like this big. And um, she looks at me just tear-filled, and I'm trying to encourage her that it's going to be okay, and she puts him in my hands and says, you keep him alive until I get home. And I was like, wow, that's a vote of confidence. But the sad reality is I was like, I'm afraid that he might not make it, and I might not might make it to the end of this day. So as a husband, as a parent, those were situations, if God did not come through it, it was, I was done. Like, I just could not do it. That was a situation that I just could not do. It was way in over my head, way in over my head. I remember for the very pastoral ministry, I was 24 years old when I started a full-time uh, ministry, and uh, the pastor of the church said, hey, I want you to preach. And I was like, sweet. And I tried to act excited, but then I went home. I was like, I've never done that in my entire life. I have no clue what to say. I have no clue what to do. And so I'm you know, thinking, I can do this. How, 
how hard could it be? Just open your Bible and be like, God loves you. Let's pray. Um, I show up to church the very first morning I'm preaching, and I'm all messed up. Like, stuff is happening in my body. I'm like, that's never happened before. I'm not sure what's going on. I looked over at my friend, and I said, listen, if I'm not back in five minutes, just pray or just do something spiritual until I make it back. I literally walked out of the sanctuary and into the bathroom stall and was puking my guts out for like five, six minutes. So much when literally pastor introduces me, I'm like, hang on, I think I got some some vomit still coming. I mean, my breath smelled terrible, and I was like, just, it was awful, right? All of this to say, those are just three uh, pretty significant situations for me that I was in way over my head. If God did not show up and do something, uh, I would not have been able to survive. And I don't just mean survive, but at some level thrive as a husband, um, as a dad, as a pastor. How do you do in situations that you're just totally way over your head? Do you stress and, and just freak out or just take things in stride? And many options, but two that I'll give you is you can certainly live life never taking risks beyond what you can handle, meaning you'll take a risk enough, but just in case it doesn't work out, you can still kind of bail yourself out. So it's not really a risk because you're still at some level trying to control whatever that might be. That's one option. Or another one is to live life knowing that unless God shows up, you're going to be in trouble. Now, this is not a call or an invitation to live mindlessly, uh, but to be a person who would live very missionally, meaning to put yourself in situations where, God, if, if you don't show up, then I'm just not sure how this is going to work out. And I, I'm not saying be dumb in the way you live, but to trust God uh, by the situations you find yourself in, that unless he comes through, it's like I'm, I'm sunk. I'm way over my head. These are the disciples. They're, they're called to go out and do this mission. And the beauty of it is their first time back, they're coming back and just the stories that these guys begin to share of the experiences that they have. As I think about Genesis as a church moving forward and planting, okay, we can't do this. Like on our own, by ourselves, this is a situation where if God does not show up in a radical, in a significant way, we're all in trouble. But I firmly believe the one who has called us and invited us is going to provide for us anything and everything that we will need along this journey of planting a brand new church in an area that is incredibly difficult to plant churches. This is the life of a follower who says, I want to have a ruthless trust in the God that has called me. And if I'm in situations that I'm way over my head, I'm okay with that. Why? Because the one I'm taking a risk for will be faithful, will utterly and absolutely be faithful. We come to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and it says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. I would have loved to have been around like the campfire that night. You have 12 guys who are coming back, and I can only imagine the stories that are coming from these guys. Man, Jesus, you would not have believed. You should have seen me 
Like there was a crowd, and I was up there preaching it. I stole some of your metaphors, but it was amazing. Like people were like repenting and giving their life. And other Peter, like, oh my goodness, Jesus, you should have seen it. This guy's arm was totally bent and busted, and I just like touched it, and all of a sudden it was straightened out. This guy was dead, and now he's alive. I mean, I can only imagine the stories that these guys were coming back with. And I can just picture Jesus sitting around just with a smile, just listening to the joy and the experiences that these 12 men had as they went out on mission. They were out for a few weeks. And I can only imagine Jesus was just praying for these guys, that they would be experiencing uh, the extension of his grace and power as they went out on mission. Now, two things occur to those who go where God sends them. These guys became storytellers because they had a story to tell. Like, a lot of our stories sometimes just revolve around stories about us. Those stories are entertaining to a point, but they get old real quick. These guys became storytellers of, you would have, it was amazing what God did. It was amazing what, how God just showed up. When people who are called of God go, and then they come back, they just have all of these amazing stories to, to, to report and to tell. And again, not about what they did, but what they witnessed, what they saw God do. As you tell stories, we all tell stories. You're going to go to work or wherever you go on Mondays, and people are going to ask you, what would you do this weekend? Well, that's a story to be told right there. How many of our stories center around, well, this is what I did, this is, you know, blah, blah, blah. When people who are sent go where God sends, the stories that we come back with are the type of stories we're like, really, that is amazing. And it inspires, it motivates, it encourages. I want to have a story like that. I want to see God show up in my life like that. The second thing that happens to, the, to people who go where God sends, and this is just the reality of, of a missional ministry, is it is incredibly rewarding, but it can also be tiring. Why? Because of people. <laughs> I mean, the number one jobs that cause burnout are customer service-related jobs. I mean, is it a big shock? Because people can be very draining. They can be tiring. Why? Because people have great needs. And those who specifically work with people, it can be very, very tiring. And the story goes on. This happens. Verse 31, then because uh, so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This word rest, it's let's take an intermission. It's time for a break. Let's rest, refuel, be refreshed, nourished. We all know the feeling, and I can say all, we all know the feeling of what it is like just to be spent, to be tired, uh, to be worn out. You ever go on a vacation hoping to get rest, and you come back from the vacation, you're like, my goodness, I need another vacation from the vacation I just took. Like you go away hoping that you'll actually get some level of rest, but you come back more tired than when you actually left. And why that is, is geography doesn't necessarily bring refreshment. It might be nice to go to a place that's sunny, but 
there's nothing that necessarily happened to you. How do you get rest? What do you do uh, to get rest? Some people would say, gosh, if I could just like sleep 18 hours a day, and some try, that's what would be most restful. But just sleeping longer is not a guarantee that you'll actually wake up refreshed. I remember uh, uh, early days of doing ministry. They, I wish they had these here, um, dollar theaters, like legit dollar theaters. Like not where it says dollar theater and then you go and it's like $6 and you're like, wait a minute, this is funny math. Like legit dollar theaters. And every Tuesday at this specific dollar theater, it was 50 cent day, all throughout the day. Now, the popcorn was like $30, but <laughs> the movie itself, and so I planned my day off. Had a lot of stuff ministry happen over the weekend. Monday, I was working, working hard. Tuesday was the day that I looked forward to most because I thought I could rest. And what I would used to do is I used to go to movies. On Tuesday, literally sometimes three or four movies. Like four movies for $2, that's a bargain. Like on the big screen, like in a theater. Now, the reality was I didn't actually even care sometimes what I was seeing. I would fall asleep. I wouldn't even, I just, the thought of being in a dark room and no one talking to me, I was like, this short of heaven is it. And then it kind of occurred to me, you know, this is not actually resting. This is just escaping. And there is a difference of people who, Find a place of rest and those who just escape. And I would venture to say a lot of us, and I know a lot of people in culture, because they don't know how to rest, they just choose to escape. For some, it could literally be movies. And for some, it could be other things that are very destructive. So ask the question again, how do you rest? How do you find a place where you truly are refreshed and nourished? What I love about what Jesus uh, says here. In, um, in Matthew 6, he says, come with me to a quiet place. Come with me to a quiet place. And I've just sat with that, and rest is going to be found not in where we go, but in who we go to. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Like, there's a difference of just sleeping and going to the movies and a difference of just saying, Jesus, I just need to sit and be with you. Not do, but just be. And there's just something about being in the presence of Jesus that brings rest, that brings a sense of refreshment, that just brings what we need. Now, as I've thought about um, just, it's just easy to get tired. These guys were doing missional work, and they come back, they have exciting stories, they're becoming these storytellers, but then Jesus says, wow, you guys haven't even had time to eat. Come with me to a place where you can get some rest. I met someone uh, this morning, actually, and it wasn't meeting him for the first time, but something that he just said just came to mind. Because some people might interpret this and just say, you know what? The very reason I don't want to serve, the reason I don't want to be that person on mission is, yeah, I'd like to have the stories, but I've just, I don't want to get that, I don't want to be that burned out, 
jaded individual. And I met this guy this morning uh, here at church, and he just said, Michael, God's just doing amazing things in my heart over the past three weeks, like giving me a brand new heart. And I've started doing something I've never done before. I started serving. And the very thing that I thought was going to be sucking the life out of me is breathing life into me. There's just something to be said that when we are serving, when we are giving, that is, there are times to rest. I'm not saying there's not. But there's just something about serving where it literally is God uses that to breathe life into our hearts, into our souls. And I know Jesus, as he calls us, is not looking to create this community of just anxious and worried and stressed, freaked out, frustrated followers. He wants us as followers to be people who are on mission, but also people who know how to rest and know where to go to to find rest, and that's the person of Jesus. There are some here tonight, you know, life is, especially following Christ, it's a journey. And a great metaphor I heard uh, a while ago that's just resonated is life is a journey. Literally, if you picture this, your car's on the highway, there are literally times where you just need to pull over at a rest stop. You just need to, to pull over and recoup and refresh and just rest. But no one ever gets in their car and says, you know where we're going today? We're going to this rest stop, and we're going to camp out there, and we're going to live there for a few months. That's not what rest stops are intended for. There are people who are literally living at rest stops. And my word to you would be, get back on the road. And there are some of you who are living in such a way that you actually need to pull over and just rest. Which one are you? I don't know, but you do. You cannot, the destination is never a rest stop. Never. You're there for a time, for a season, but you don't live there. And so some of you need to go to that place, but there are some of you who have been there way too long, and like your life is starting to to atrophy. And you're getting so tired just because you're, you're literally not serving. You're not that person on mission and just giving, life being breathed in. You know which one you are. I'm just encouraging you two ways. Either pull over and take a rest, be refreshed, or get back on the road. Now, ironically, Jesus is taking these guys away for a rest. And would you know it, people. People just found out where these guys were going, they saw them, and they just start running towards Jesus and the disciples. They're trying to get away and take a break, but yet there's no break because the people find out where they are and where they're going. Mark 6, 32 through 34. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. He saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. They all tried to get away, but the people came running from all over the towns. Now, 
We know that he fed 5,000. That's what Mark records. But that's just 5,000 men. They weren't counting everyone else that was there, women and children and such. Jesus sees this crowd of humanity, and he has compassion on them. As they are literally running, what kind of people do you think? Do you think they're running because they're like, sign me up, I want to serve, if you need me, I'm totally there? Or do you think they're just people who are desperate? Like, desperate because they have this need. Yet when Jesus sees them, he has compassion on them. I love this response. He has affection deep down within his gut, his soul. He has an affection for these people that he sees. He's not annoyed. He's not frustrated. He's not irritated. He has compassion. Now, obviously, an easy question to ask, which I will, is when you see people in need, compassion or annoyance, frustration, irritation. Oh, here we go again. Like, when will this person go away? Like, oh my goodness, not another person who's got another need that apparently I'm going to have to meet. Jesus looked at an entire crowd of desperate people running to get to him and the disciples, and he has compassion. How can he have compassion? I really want you to catch this. He saw people, not problems. Like, we see problems, not the person. When you see a person who's like you, male, female, still made in the same image of God, when you see people that trumps no matter the circumstance or problem. I know for me sometimes it's hard. Am I finding myself really frustrated because it's the person or the problem? And God says, would you get your eye on the person? Jesus can look at this crowd and he sees people, not just a crowd of problems. If I were to look at a crowd of 5,000 and just didn't see people, but I saw problems, I'd probably be annoyed. I'd probably be irritated. But Jesus looks at him and just has compassion because he can see people. Again, tough question. Who do you see? Do you see the person that's in front of you, or do you just see them as the problems that they are, the problems that they have? Jesus saw people, and he had compassion. Then he goes on to say he saw people who were like sheep without a shepherd. I've talked about this before, but a shepherd has four primary responsibilities. Shepherds, pastors, elders, to lead, to protect, to feed, and to care for. So when Jesus looks at these people, probably 10,000 plus, he has compassion because he sees people who are lost. He sees people who are hurting. He sees people who are hungry, and he sees that no one cares, but Jesus does. A sea of humanity, and he says, I have compassion. It's very interesting that his compassion leads him to teach. Jesus, it goes on to say that he teaches these people all day long. Now, Mark doesn't let us know what he was teaching. Obviously, you can speculate. Uh, I have a feeling that Jesus probably couldn't stop talking about his heavenly father. He probably couldn't stop talking about the kingdom of God. He probably couldn't stop talking about grace and compassion of who God is. And he probably couldn't stop talking about the love that God has and the forgiveness that God has. And he, he probably couldn't stop inviting and calling people to repent from sinful living and saying, 
turn from that and turn your life to God. All day long, it says he was going from group to group, preaching and teaching. Why in his compassion is he led to teach? Why in his compassion is he led to share words? He's preaching and proclaiming and teaching people truths about who God is. Well, right living or right thinking will impact right living. If you have a very skewed perspective of who God is, if you just don't get who God is, you're going to have a very difficult time interacting with God, relating to God. If you have a very skewed perspective, a distorted perspective of who God is, you'll have a very difficult time relating with people and relating with yourself. Jesus, in his compassion, uses his words to teach people truth about who God is and the the God that has called them to repent from sin and turn towards him. All day long, it says he's teaching. Mark 6, 35 through 38. By this time, it's the end of the day. It was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This, this is the disciples now, okay? I love these guys, okay? They're pretty honest. They're pretty genuine. Very confused, but at least they're genuine. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus Get rid of them, okay? We did our thing. We, we, you've been going at it all day. Now just get rid of them. Jesus answers and says, you, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? It's like, Seriously? You really want us to go and feed all of these people? You really want us to give them something to eat? Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fishes. After a long day of shepherding, the disciples come to Jesus with this request of just Jesus, please get rid of the people, send them away. They need food. And then this conversation takes place, as I've just read. His response is, you do it. You feed them. Okay, so they've been playing the game here. Of They went out, they've been participating in missional activity, missional work. And now Jesus says, here's one for you. Here's a crowd of about 10,000 plus people. No food. It's late. We're in a remote place. You feed them. Let's see what you guys can do. And their response is, it's just not possible. It is absolutely not possible. Everything about where we are and the circumstances just scream, we can't feed all of these people. We got no money. We have no, we have no cash. We have nothing here. This is their response to Jesus. And so they question Jesus and say, you have to be kidding. You cannot be serious that you want us to go and feed all of these people. And so Jesus says, go find out how much you have. Now, remember, he told them last, take nothing with you. So these guys have no cash, no credit cards. They have no food. They have nothing. And so they go and they're looking of, okay, we, we, don't, we don't see anything. And 
What's really funny is uh, in the Gospel of John, because he records this story, it says the disciples come across this little guy, 12 years old, and he apparently has five loaves of bread and two fish. And so these geniuses here and the disciples like, let's grab this kid. Certainly Jesus isn't going to rip off a little kid and take his, his food. Like, it's almost like they want to bring this kid back to say, this is how insignificant, I mean, we've got nothing. Are you seriously, Jesus, going to take food from this little 12-year-old? Like, you're not the bully in the lunchroom who's just going to take other people's food. This is where they have, they come up with five loaves and two fish. I love what Jesus does. Verse 39, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. You have to, I'm not getting into all the details here, but uh, the shepherding analogies of uh, Jesus as the great shepherd in Psalm 23 uh, just is really rich. Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, and they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gives thanks, meaning he blesses, and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Remember, there was five and two. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Four verbs. And why I picked this out is because they just, uh, you'll see when we celebrate communion tonight, uh, here in a moment, Jesus takes what they bring, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it back to them. The same language, the same words that he uses at the Lord's table, the Lord's supper when they celebrate uh, communion together. Jesus takes what they bring him, meaning he takes our offering And he turns around and he uses it for good, benefit of others. The second thing, what we offer to Jesus, Jesus then offers it to God. What you bring, Jesus takes, receives, and then he takes that very thing and he offers it to God, blesses, he gives thanks. Thirdly, he takes our offering, our gift, what we bring, and he changes it, he breaks it. He transforms the very thing that we bring to him, he trans- meaning what we bring, it doesn't remain the same. And then the fourth thing, Jesus gives it back. They brought him the fish. He blesses it, he breaks the bread and the fish, transforms it, and then he gives it back to these men. It's been transformed. So what Jesus has given, he gives it back. But what I love is he gives it back lavishly, like in abundance. What appeared to be very insignificant, what appeared to be very insufficient, Jesus multiplies somehow, some way to feed all that were in attendance at this picnic. All started with some bread and some fish. Now, I really want us to get stuck on this. I I just want you to ponder what Jesus initially said. He said, you do it. He said, you do it. You'd rather send them away. I'd rather see them get fed. And I want to see you do it. 
How do you feel about a God who says to humanity, you do it? Like, how do you feel about God looking at us saying, no, I want you to go and do it? Like, if you say, wow, I mean, if this is really, if the God of the Bible is wanting to use you as a vehicle or an instrument to provide or to bless other people, if you say, yes, that is an, that's an amazing God, I mean, is really? That's what God, how he does it? He wants to use you and me to provide and to bless for other people. If you say, no, that's not really how God does it, then how sad it would be to say the God of creation doesn't even want the created to be involved in his work. But the God of creation wants the created to be involved in blessing and providing and caring for other people. Now, if you're the disciples and you're literally having these baskets and it's like, okay, they started with one, but apparently there's another. And every time they put their hand in, there's more food to be distributed. Would you be thinking to yourself, like either this is like magic bread and like fish that somehow know how to clone themselves, or this is literally a miracle that is taking place and it's flowing through their hands. Every time they reach into the basket, it's not empty. But gosh, when I just, there was only a piece of bread, but now there's two. My goodness, there's now three. And over, it just kept multiplying. Like, do you think these disciples were thinking, this is absolutely amazing. A miracle is taking place through our hands right now. I'm, somehow, I'm not thinking they came to the conclusion of, this is just absolutely uh, a waste of, of time here. Uh, I can't believe that we have to pass out all of this bread. Now, two questions I'll give you is, have you ever thought, you know what, I just don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to give. There's nothing that I have that God can use. These guys basically took a 12-year-old and took his fish and his bread and brought it to Jesus. This is what we have. Have you ever thought, you know what, I just don't have anything. Nothing about my life could ever be used by God. I have nothing to bring. If that's you, I would just encourage you then just to say this. Bring what you have, not what you don't have. And you might be like, well, I said I don't have anything. You do. You have you. Like, do you notice that when Jesus looks at the disciples, he's like, he didn't say, really? Five loaves, two fishes, that's the best you guys could do? That's lame, guys. Like, how, like, you can't do any better than that? He just takes what was brought, he receives it, he blesses it, he breaks it, transforms it, and then he gives it back. I guess the question would be, whatever it is you have, will you bring it as an offering to God, trusting that he will receive, he will bless, he will break, transform, and give it back? Second question, this is kind of a hard question, but have you ever thought, that's just beneath me? That's totally beneath me. Waiting on people uh, is for someone else, not me. Like, these guys were apostles. They didn't have this attitude of, uh, Jesus, did you forget? We're apostles. We're the chosen ones. We preach, we teach, we heal, and we lead. You want us to be a wait staff now? 
there wasn't this attitude of just pride of, no way. I am not serving. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not a waiter. I'm an apostle. Like, have you ever thought to yourself, you know, there are just certain things that I, I won't do that's beneath me. Can I just say, in the kingdom of God, as a follower of Jesus, there is nothing that is beneath you. Like, we are called to serve. We are called to give. Not so that we would be recognized, not so that we would be appreciated, not so someday someone will put up a plaque on the wall that says, employee of the month. Like, there is nothing that would be beneath any one of us. And I wonder how many miracles we miss because we just don't put our hands on the bread and the fish. Because we just, that's for someone else. Someone else will do that job. And I love that this miracle became a reality when they were obedient. Jesus told them to do it, and they did, and this miracle begins to start to flow from their hands. All of this to say, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a follower in relationship with Jesus, you serve. Not like reluctant, not reluctantly, not in a spirit of annoyance, not in a spirit like, oh, I can't believe I have to do this, but in a spirit that says, wow, God, you'd use me to bless, to give, like you would use me to serve and to give. So how do you sit with that? When Jesus says, no, you do it, would you say, okay, I'll serve, I'll give. You guys don't even know this guy. Um, His name's Bruce. And Bruce... uh, Every single Sunday, like I know most of you don't go to church here in the morning, but the room doesn't look like this. If you can imagine, you'd actually be all facing that way. There's this guy, Bruce, who's never even met any of you, who's never even been to Genesis. Every Sunday for about the last year, he helps set up this room. Every Sunday, I'm like, Bruce, thank you so much. He's like, Michael, stop thanking me. I love doing this. I'm like, why? You don't even know anyone who comes to Genesis. He's like, I know, but I love that they come. And if this is just some small way that I can serve them, I don't need to go to some faraway place to serve or to do some mission. If I can do it right here in the confines of this room, then I would love to do it. Every Sunday... When he's here in town, he is here in this room setting up. Never been, and he doesn't know any one of you. But he just loves to serve. You do it. How do you sit with that? You might say, well, I'm too tired, and I'm too busy. I just am afraid you miss out on the life that God has for you if you keep copping that attitude. I'm too tired. I'm just too busy. You know, when we were talking about rest before, there are some people who are tired because they've literally just been serving and giving, and they need to pull over to a rest stop. But there's some people who need to ask themselves the question, why am I so tired? Is it really from serving, or is it really actually because I've been spending? And not on others, but on myself. There are some people who need to wrestle with the question of, I am actually tired, but it has nothing to do with serving humanity or caring for humanity. It's because I'm so consumed with me. Serving other people 
That's what we're called to do. You do it. This is what Jesus says. I guess I would just just finish. Um, I, I wanted to ask, I guess, one last question. And Why did they need food? Like, they could have gone to the different towns. They could have just, they probably wouldn't have even thought anything different. It makes sense. Yeah, we probably should go away. We're in the middle of nowhere. Of course we'll go away. And I think Jesus did not want them to miss, and I don't want anyone here tonight to miss, that Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the one who leads. He is the one who protects. He is the one who feeds. He is the one who cares. He spent the entire day teaching. He was filling them spiritually. And Jesus, because he is the good, great shepherd, I will not only spiritually fill their hunger, but physically I will care for them. What an amazing thing that these people probably didn't even know it, but they encountered the great shepherd that day. A great picture of Psalm 23. The great shepherd was in their presence, and he, did, he led, he protected them, he fed them, and he cared for them. And I just want you to hear this, all of them were fed. There was no one in the fields that day. It was like, hey, check if they're really spiritual. Check if they've been naughty or nice. Like some people have not been good. They've been cruel. They've, they haven't been, they're not worthy of it. But the great shepherd fed all that day. If you were there in that crowd that day, you would have been fed. And it wasn't based on what you had done or had not done. It was based on the great shepherd he leads, he protects, he feeds, and he cares for. I want to end with that. Of If you were there that day, you would have been filled. You would have been satisfied. The only way in life we are filled where we are satisfied is when we know the great shepherd and his name is Jesus. 5,000 plus people saw the great shepherd lead and protect and feed and care for. Everyone was filled. Everyone was satisfied that day. The great shepherd is the one who offers rest. He told his disciples, let's get away. Come with me and get rest. He invites them, you do it. You be an extension of my hands. And then he took what they brought and he just received it. He blessed it. He transformed it and he gave it back. And he said, no, go and you be the hands. As we just pray and come and get ready to uh, celebrate communion, a prayer of yours might be ask Jesus to give you a heart of compassion. It started for Jesus when he saw the multitudes and he didn't see a multitude of problems. He saw a multitude of people, and he had compassion. There might be some, if not many, who are here, and you see the multitudes around you, and they just annoy you. They irritate you. Would you ask God, God, please give me that Jesus heart that would have compassion for people? Maybe you would ask Jesus just to receive what you're bringing, and tonight it could be your very life. God, would you take this life, 
as broken and as busted as it is, would you take it and receive it? Would you bless? Would you transform and give it back so much so that I would be an extension of your hands to those around me? Do you do it? That's what Jesus told him. We're going to celebrate communion and um, finish with some worship. I've put out some things for you to, to think about and to pray about. And I just want you to respond. A heart of compassion for those around you. Father God, I pray that because your word, uh, the Bible, has been opened and we believe God, I believe with all my heart that it is alive and it speaks to the heart and soul of every man, every woman that is in this place. God, that your word is spoken as no matter where we are in our journeys, I believe, God, that you are speaking to our hearts now. God, there are people in this room who need a heart of compassion. God, grant them that heart, that they would see people not as problems, but as people. Ultimately, people who need to know the great shepherd named Jesus. Jesus, I know there's people here tonight who have a sense of, I have nothing to offer, I have nothing to give. God, let all of us start with giving you our lives. God, that you would receive, that you would bless, that you would transform, and that you would give back to us that we might be an extension of your hands. Lord Jesus, I give thanks that all were fed that day, that all were satisfied. Jesus, if there is no one if there's one person, if not many in this place tonight, who do not know you as the great shepherd, God, I pray that tonight a decision, if not many decisions, would get made to trust you, Jesus, with their life, to confess that they've sinned, rebelled against you, that would commit to repent and turn away from sinful, selfish living and turn towards you, Jesus, you would receive that life, bless that life, transform that life, and give back. Tonight, as you would feel led, these were the words that Jesus used in Scripture when he celebrated communion with his disciples. He received the bread. He blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, that Jesus gave his body. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of you and me, the sins of the world, that those who would turn to trust Jesus would find forgiveness, would find grace, would find transformation. And in the same way, he took uh, the cup and he said, this is my body or this is my blood that has been poured out, has been shed for you. 
that we would be purified, made right in a new covenant, a new relationship with God now and forevermore. If you have made the decision to trust Jesus as your Savior, the one who forgives sins and the one who makes you right with God, come and celebrate tonight. But as you come tonight, offer, bring something to Jesus, and it could just be your very life, that he would receive it, bless it, transform it, and give it back to you so that you could go and do what he's called us to do. Lord Jesus, I give thanks that you did what we could not do. You lived a perfect life. You were without sin. That you went to the cross, paying the penalty for the sins of the world, paying the, 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 the penalty for my sin and the sin of everyone in this room. That those who would trust would find forgiveness, grace, love, mercy, compassion, ultimately would find eternal life, everlasting relationship with you. We remember your body broken. We remember your blood shed, and we give thanks. As you are ready, all has been prepared for you. Genesis is a ministry of Hope Christian Church. We invite you to find out more by visiting our website at genesisthejourney.com.